0: Be seated, please. Hope you guys are doing well. Everybody okay? Okay, thank you. What I want to do for us right now is we have a lot to cover, and I want to go ahead and just pray for us. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, Nehemiah 3 and 4, and so I just want to go ahead and pray for us as we jump right in, okay? Lord, I come to you right now, and I am overwhelmed and blessed for the privilege and the honor to open up the greatest book in all the world, to be able to teach that and to be able to um, See where you are and how you move, and lessons that we can learn. And so, Lord, I pray that as we jump into Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us about what it means to serve, what it means to be a servant. Uh, We know, Lord, that you demonstrated that yourself by sending your son to us, and that he came to serve, not be served. And so, we recognize that he is our model. Uh, We thank you for the lessons that we're going to learn from Nehemiah this morning about serving. And pray, God, that you would be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. i read this for you. The local church is much more than a weekly conference. It's a group of disciples sharing their lives and growing together in the image of Christ. Over the last 10 days, I have been incredibly blessed by one situation that took place about 10 days ago. I have wanted my whole life to be a local church pastor. And I love the idea of going to the football games and seeing people that you go to church with. I love going to the grocery store and being able to see people that you go to church with. Your grocery store, in, if you live around this area, about 65% of our people live in this northwest corner of Cary. And so I can go to the grocery store at Harris Teeter and there's always somebody from church that I get to see. And I have to tell you this, I love that. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I was able to walk, and I saw Fred Sosa. We used to be neighbors together. We had a conversation together. He had his basket. I had my hands full of stuff because I didn't think I needed a basket, and then I got more than I needed. And so I'm walking around like this, and I'm like, hey, Fred, can't shake your hand, but good to see you. We had a little conversation and then later we walked down and we saw Robin and Anna Rutledge and I had my hands full of stuff and I thought, well, listen, of, of course they'll, they'll just pay for our things. So I tried to put my stuff in their basket and they declined. And then when we got in the car, my father-in-law Phil and I, because we went to the store together because there were, there were steaks that were on sale. And I uh, tried to put our stuff into Robin and Anna's basket, but they didn't let us. And Phil got in the car and prayed for their sanctification. (laughs) And um, amen to that. So then, but listen, then we got, and I saw Phoebe. Now, Phoebe is the daughter of Christine Lou, and they used to be in our life group together. We saw Phoebe, we saw her. um, She was born, she comes in, and so all of a sudden, uh, she's now two years old, and she is at the milk section of the Harris Teeter right here, and I'm over where the stakes are, because the T-bones were on sale, okay, and I look, and I wave to Christine, and Christine waves to me, and then Phoebe looks and sees me, and I'm kidding you, she was in an all-out sprint, and she starts running, and I got down, and there was this massive moment of hug, and I'm just telling you, look, we got a picture of me and Phoebe, and Phoebe just told me all about all about, she was wearing her dance costume, she was telling me she just went to dance, and she was talking my ear off, and it was awesome. And I just got to be honest with you, I love this. I love every bit of it. I mean, some of you know, um, part of our story together is that, you know, we we came to this road on Yates Store Road, and, and, and in 2005 and 6, and we prayed on this dirt road, God, do something, bring a people of Bring people together for the glory of God, for the fame of your name, and let's do something great because you are great. And then he, he, he did that and he brought us together and we're now together and we get to go to the grocery store and we get to see people. But here's what, it's, here's what I need you to know. It's not simply just about being together. It's really, really another component of that and it's serving together. We cannot just let it be, hey, we're together. We know each other no, we have a task that is at hand and it is bigger than we could ever ask or dream, but we serve a God who's able to do things more than we could ever imagine. And what he said here is he said, hey, let me bring you together. Yeah, I'm going to bring you together, but what I want you to do is I want you to serve me and I want you to do that together. That's really what our thrust of our message is this morning. It's really about serving King Jesus for the glory and for for his fame. And doing that together because If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, this will be on the screen, verses 11 through 16, there is an incredible gift that God gave the church. See, the book of Ephesians was written by this guy named Paul, you know Apostle Paul? He wrote this book and he was encouraging the churches at Ephesus that, hey, listen, I want to remind you that what you have. I want to remind you what you have. Verse chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. This is what you have. And then chapter four, he's like, now I'm going to give you instruction on what you're going to do with it. In chapter four, starting in verse 11, he shares with us the greatest gift and also a purpose for the local church and what it's supposed to be about in regards to serving. What does it say? It says in verse 11, and he gave. This is God's gift to his vehicle that is going to change the church. He gave, he gave the apostles and he gave prophets and he gave evangelists and he gave shepherds and he gave teachers. It's a gift and what are they to do? We're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here's the purpose, to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So that, here's the negative side, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Here's the positive side, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, what? Grow up in every way into him who is the head and into Christ. 16, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which he is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I speak on behalf of the elders, the staff, and those covenant members here at Northwest. Listen, plain and simply, what do we want? We want kids to be discipled. We want men to be discipled. We want women to be discipled. Pretty, pretty simple. We want to be followers of Jesus. We say this often by saying, hey, we want to passionately guide generations through gospel transformation. How? One home at a time. If I could even summarize that up even more, it it would be disciples who make disciples. And one of the key components in that and how that all comes together is understanding we're serving the Lord through the local church and what that does in terms of our discipleship. That is a key component, is a critical component for us to be all that we can be for the glory of God. And so as we look at the book of Nehemiah, we jumped into chapter one a couple of weeks ago and we found out that a burden God searches for burdened believers. And Nehemiah is overwhelmed and he calls on God, God, we are a mess, the city's in ruin, the people cannot worship, I am praying to you, I'm asking you to do unbelievable things. So a burdened God searches for burdened believers. And then last week in Nehemiah chapter two, we come up and we see that Nehemiah could see some things take place and, the, and Nehemiah was given permission to have everything that he needed in order to rebuild the temple. And I asked a question last week, the temple wall. I asked a question last week, what do you see? And today, what we're going to take a look at is we're going to get a vision and we're going to see what really, what Nehemiah could see through the lens of the gospel. He's going to be able to see that, some of those things. He prays to God, God opens up a door, and man, some great things take place. So we're in chapters 3 and chapter 4. Chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we're going to really take a look at what that looks like. I'm going to just go ahead and telegraph the past for you. The message this morning is about serving together. And here's what takes place when we serve together. We have an action step for you to, um, to take today. Outside on a wall, there's David. There's, Aunt, there's David and there's some, a lot of folks out there. Um, the, Teresa is going to be out there and Adam's going to be out there, and they're going to be standing out next to the wall, and they're going to be asking you to sign up. And so here's the action step for you today. As you go through the message this morning, as we finish our time together, I'm asking you to go outside and sign your name up onto a place where you are needed to serve in our church. You're going to say, hey, well, I need you to know this right now that I need to pray about that. No, 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 let me tell you this. We've already prayed for you. <laughs> okay. We've, we've taken that step, we've taken your, we have, we have done that for you. Okay, that's already been done. Okay, so just sign up. Sign up. And we've got places where you can come together and you can serve together and we can be a church that functions together. Here's our big idea since there's so many verses this morning that we're going to, un- to uncover and talk about. I just wanted to summarize in one point the entire message this morning. Burdens that arise out of the gospel are lighter when everyone works together. Burdens that arise out of the gospel are lighter when everyone works together. And so that really summarizes really what's going on in our text. If there's background to chapter 3, now what's going on if we go into chapter 3? We have to sit there and take a look. That what's happening right now is the temple wall, which Nehemiah is responsible for building, lies in ruins. What happens is you're not able to safely worship God because of the adversaries that would come in and attack. So the wall needs to be built. And there are gates to the wall, different access points around the wall that surrounds the city of Jerusalem, the temple area. And so what they want to do is they want to come in. Nehemiah is um, getting forces together, recruiting forces together to come in and to build the different gates around the city. And that's where we pick it up in chapter, in chapter three. And uh, so let's, n- number one, the first thing that I want you to see in regards to serving together is this. Serving helps you identify your passions. Serving helps you identify your passions. Let's look at verse, thir- uh, verse one of chapter three. Verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it. They set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, now, what is so significant in this point right now? First of all, we have high priests. The priests are responsible for the sacrifices that will be involved in the uh, temple. We understand right now that there is no need for a goat sacrifice or a sheep sacrifice because Jesus was the lamb that was slain without spot or blemish. He took our debt and paid it in full. But we're in the Old Testament right here where there needed to be a sacrifice of an animal. And so we had the sheep gate. And what would enter through the sheep gate would be a uh, a sheep. And that would be the sacrifice that they would take on the sins. And so here you have the high priests. And can you imagine... The high priest, what they're responsible for doing is to declare that you are f- forgiven of your sins and then uh, leading in the sacrificial lamb. And so you can see as they're outside and they're in charge of building the sheep gate, you can see that they were probably pretty passionate about building this because they know what it would represent. They know what it was going to do. They, know, they knew what it was going to communicate. But I want to make sure you understand that it is through this gate 400 years later that Jesus entered this gate. He entered this gate, the sheep gate. He was the final sheep that ever needed to go through that gate. Not only did he enter that gate, but he came out of that gate. He gathered in a garden, got a garden called Gethsemane. And it was right outside that gate. After he entered that gate, it was right outside that gate that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. It is that gate. And so what I want us to to understand, too, is that we have the high priests. They don't know a lot about putting together a gate, fastening the bolts, the wood, what is required of this. But what they lacked in experience, God used their passion and their desire to serve in this area to identify how they could be used at this time. And that's a beautiful thing for us to see. They're not very much the handyman type of people if you were to look at a a high priest. But they were fastening this gate, and by serving in this way, it identified what they were passionate about. And that's important in the the life of serving. Number two, the second thing I want us to see in chapter three is, is, is really this, is not serving is not biblical. Not serving is not biblical. Look at verse five and who they point out. So they're all of a sudden going throughout the entire text, and hopefully you'll look at this either in life group or on your own through your Nehemiah journal. But here's just verse 5, it says, and next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. And here's what I want you to see right now, is I don't want you to be one of those people. We have all of a list in chapter 3 of Nehemiah of they were doing this and 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 then it single out some people and going oh but they did not stoop to serve the Lord. Our discipleship is at stake when we do not serve where God said to serve. And that's a dangerous place. We look at a couple of verses in scripture Mark 10:45 specifically. Mark 10:45 says this, for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In 1 Samuel 12:24 it says, "Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you." Joshua 12:24 says this, "And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell." Here's what it says, but as for me and my house, say it, we will serve the Lord. We go back to Ephesians, we, we talked about that in the start of the message, we talked about how in Ephesians chapter 2, which is an incredible chapter in and of itself, it begins with saying you're dead in your trespasses and sins, you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it, and then there's this great statement that says, but God who is rich in his mercy, and we learn that we are saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. And he goes to this great declaration to us and to, the, and to those in Ephesus. And then he concludes that whole section with verse 10 of Ephesians 2, verse 10. And it says, for we are his workmanship. That's, that's God. We are his workmanship. He is our leader. He is our savior. So we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Here's what we're created for. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and I, I just want you to hear me right now. I, I love you guys to death, and I love serving with you, and I love being a part of you, and I love being a pastor here at this church. But really what we don't want is we don't want for us to view the church as simply an arena that we gather in. And whereby we spectate. Not a stadium where we just watch people on the playing field. As we sit in the bleachers. It's not an event where only a certain group of people are allowed to play. Here is the beautiful, beautiful thing of the gospel. Here's the beautiful thing of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Here's the beautiful thing of Nehemiah in this chapter 3. Is that you're invited to be a part of serving. And we need to understand that not serving is not biblical. And our discipleship is at stake if we believe otherwise. What happens on Sunday morning, this beautiful, all this setup, and what happens out there with the kids in the foyer, all of that just does not happen. We have two 24-foot trailers that need to be unloaded and loaded back. The trailers have to be brought here. The trailers have to be unloaded. The stuff has to be set up. That has to be packed up. They have to be put in the trailer, and they have to be back over to the school. That's just Sunday every Sunday morning and it simply does not just happen and so what we want to see is we want to understand that not serving God as a disciple as a follower of God is just simply not it's not biblical a couple of couple of years ago Dan and I had moved into our neighborhood not the one we're in now we'd moved into a neighborhood and we were doing some things in the neighborhood uh, like we were doing a backyard Bible club inviting everybody on our street to our house and um, one summer, we did like Jonah, and we had this tent. We set it up, and we put sardines inside the tent. And we were teaching them that Jonah, <laughs> Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. Everybody climb into the big fish. They went in there, and they could smell, oh, it stinks in here. And he was there for the, and man, I'm just telling you, it was a really cool thing, because you in your neighborhood, this, this girl would go by her house, go, Jonah, Jonah, big fish. And so, couple of one of the families that that came to that um, strong believing family, uh, when he came to the came to the house that day, I remember he said, "We want to be missionaries. We are we are working very hard on becoming missionaries, and we would like to be missionaries in Belize." And so, but I need you to know that we just got rejected by the mission organization that we signed up to go through. And I was like, "Why?" He's like, "Man." I quit my law practice. I want to go over there. I want to learn the language and I want to serve because what they asked us is they asked us, what are you doing here for the gospel in serving? And he said, Matt, I looked in the face. I couldn't say anything besides I go to church. They turned us down. And here's why they turned us down. Because we think that when we're going to go over there and we're going to do this here. They said this, if you want to go over there, if you're not doing it here, You're not going to do it over there. And it was a great conversation that we had about what does it look like to serve God, number one, through your church and helping Sunday morning come off. And then what does it do to serve during the week the people that God has placed you among? It's a beautiful, beautiful question. I'm happy to say that they they got a chance and they're on the mission field because of a wake-up call of, hey, hey, We're not just going to go over and do it over there. We need to do it here. And here is the greatest thing in the world. We will do short-term mission projects to wherever. We've been to Haiti and we've been to Kenya. And a lot of us have done things over there, but let's really make sure that we're doing it here consistently. This is our number one mission field. Not serving is not biblical, and it is easier when all of us say, let me do my part. The burden is lighter when everyone comes together. Number three, ask where you are needed. Ask where you are needed. Verse eight, let's take a look at what this means. And we'll read the verse and we'll talk about it. Next to them was Uzeel, the son of Herahiah. Here's what they were, goldsmiths, repaired. And next to him, working on the same little part of the wall, was Hananiah one of the perfumers. Let that sit with you for a minute, okay? A perfumer and a goldsmith. And they repaired and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So let's just make sure we understand here, we have a goldsmith and we have a perfumer. A perfumer is someone who makes perfume. I know that took a long time and a lot of seminary to come up with that, okay? So someone who makes perfume, and we have someone here who is a goldsmith. You could sit there and you could say, they don't really have a lot of experience of, of building a wall in this section and doing what was supposed to be done. But, but what they did have is they had someone who was asking the question, just put me where I'm needed. That's the perfumer, Hananiah, and that's Uziel, um, who, who was the goldsmith. That's what they were doing. They asked the question, where in the world are you needed? Adam met with a couple this week who is interested in serving in uh, student ministry. I mean, the conversation, I think it was Monday night, and they came back to the house, and uh, Adam came into the office the next day, and he just said, man, you know, they just looked at us and said, just, you know, hey, I know that you got needs. Just tell me where you're needed. We want to work with students. We've had experience. God showed up in our life in this area. We just want to help, and we'd just like to serve where we're needed. I think sometimes what we do is we hide behind our experience and our giftedness, and I believe that when we ask the question, where are we needed, we'll be able to really wrap our arms around, hey, what are we passionate about? Where are we gifted? So I think the question that we come is where we're needed. I don't know if you know this or not, but we've got a little piece of about a 12,000 square foot piece of um, land at the office that we've cleared for this summer so our students can have an area to to hang out on octoball nine square cornhole frisbee and so what we decided to do is well we need to clean this lot and we need to like put you know chapel hill grit it's a we need to put this here for this surface we need to put sod in and we have to have compost and then how are we going to do this well we got to get it cleared so we got a bulldozer and he cleared it and then we're like okay so what do we do next and he was like oh well we need a bobcat and we need to move this dirt over here and we're like who who knows how to use a bobcat no hands went up. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Dave Dombrowski, Ed Hogan, James Wong, and David Amon, they are experts on using a Bobcat after this week. I'm going to tell you something. I mean, listen, we've got, we got Chapel Hill. Man, we're going to have octoball. We're going to have nine square. We're going to have an opportunity for our students to be able to have, an op- have some things at the office to build relationship, and, and, and so we put this plan together of how are we going to do this, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you got Dave Dombrowski and Ed Hogan and James Waugh going, hey, I'm ready, just, just where, where am I needed? I'll bring a shovel, I'll bring a rake, and I'll try to learn how to drive a bobcat, and that was the result of that. One of the greatest questions you can ask when it's involving serving through the local church is where am I needed? And the answer to that question is out in the foyer. There is a display. It answers that question for you. I pray, because I already have prayed for you, that you would go out there and you'd fill your name into a spot where you're needed and you'd do that today. Number four, make serving a family affair. Make serving a family affair. I love this. If you take a look at and you break this down, maybe you could talk about this in your life group. A lot of families were responsible for building different parts of the wall. And so I want to encourage you that in verse 12, it really says, let's make it a family affair. Look at this, verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, is where it says, he and his daughters. So he's got his daughters out there and they are serving together. And my point here is this right here, is let's make serving a family affair. It's one of the greatest instruments of discipleship of our own kids when we serve together with our kids. Now, I get it. I get it. Sometimes serving with your kids can make the process go a little bit longer. Daddy, let me hammer that. Daddy, let me screw that that, that thing in. Daddy, let me do it. It takes a little bit longer. But here's what we want. Here's the message we want to share with our kids About the local church. The church is important. We must do our part. We want to serve Christ. And we do that by serving in the vehicle that he's going to use to change the world. It sends an incredible message to our kids when we serve together in the local church. But one of the greatest messages that we send when we don't serve. Is that the church is a place that you just come and sit and watch. It breeds consumeristic Ideas. It breeds that it's a place that I go rather than the, than somewhere I am, and it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place. W- one of the one of the greatest things I, I one of the greatest things we were able to see a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Abel has has his four kids, his three three boys, and John Abel is on our setup team, and John and his three boys. Come to set up two weeks out of every month. And so John comes up a couple of, uh, about a month ago, he comes up and the boys are just doing all their setup and they all have their tasks and they're all very organized and they go out there and they go to the, the soda machine and the boys get to the soda machine and they just start pushing a button and next thing you know, money just starts falling out everywhere. It's like a slot machine in Vegas and the able boys are like, oh my gosh. Money's just pouring out quarter after quarter after quarter. John, John calculated up. It's like five or six dollars in quarters. And so John is here with his boys and is setting up. And all of a sudden, he just looks at it and goes, okay, we'll take the money. But listen to me. Listen to me. This is what he did. He took the change. And the boys went and they were able to buy something with it. But here's what he also did. He took five dollars and went to Hector, our custodian, and said, Money fell out of the machine. I want to give this back to you. He allowed his boys to see what he's doing because when we serve together, we get great lessons in character and we get great lessons in integrity and great lessons in honesty. And that all happens when we look at serving as a family affair. That's what takes place. We know that Shalom was serving with his daughters yesterday was a great example was a tremendous example of serving together as a family. Let's take a look at some of them. Look, we got the Mills crew right there. Two are very intently paying attention and two are being distracted by one of their pastors. <laughs> and we serve family. We got, the, we got the Lee family sitting there. Travis right there had a bypass surgery literally four weeks ago. He had what's called the widow maker when he went into the hospital and they said, you're not leaving here. We're keeping you here. You're having bypass surgery tomorrow. He had the worst possible blockage you can ever have. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to serve when you get, up, when you get woken up to that kind of thing. We've got other family members, a, a father and his daughter, the Reynolds crew. We've got the Rosses. So we've got some other families that are serving together. And I'm going to tell you, the Rosses have been serving together in kids' ministry as long as I've been here, six and a half years got some more up there, right there, Tom and his daughter. And so listen, listen, here's, here's what we see in the text is that they were rebuilding the wall. We've got the Langdons up there. You saw the Gemmas and, and all of this is really, what is it? It's an opportunity for us to teach our kids. And here's what, this is just coming from my heart right now. Let me tell you something. When you serve with your kids and you're instructing them to do things at home, you talk to them a lot different than you would talk to them here when you set up. Don't you look at me all spiritual now. Okay, you're less patient, you're a little bit more aggressive when you're at home and you're trying to flip a mattress than when you are when you're flipping a mattress over at the Carolina Preserve or when you're setting out pipe and drape here. So let me just let you know something. Your sanctification, parents, is great when you serve together with your kids here on Sunday morning. (laughs) Because we do get a little tense maybe sometimes when we're trying to serve at home but it's better when we're doing this here together. So make serving a family affair. Number five, serve with the and in mind. Serve with the and in mind. Verse 15. And Shalom, the son of Kol-Hazez, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. So here's what it says right there. It's a period right there and its bars. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors and its bolts. And it does not say, and he went home. What does it say? And it says, and he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, the, and the, the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. There is a lot to do, and Shalom teaches us right now that, hey, don't just serve to the period, serve to the and. Some people have this type of work ethic, and I want to encourage us right now that it's really, really important for us to be able to serve together, but it's really important for us to take new ground and take opportunities for that. Listen to me. I'm gonna help you students out right now. It's Babysitting 101 for those of you that do babysitting. Listen, it's important that when you babysit that you're trying to keep the kids safe and that they won't die, right? That's what a babysitter does. But really, it's really important. It's really important, also, for the for the growth and for the opportunity for you to take new ground. So yes, the kids are safe. The kids are in bed. That's awesome. Listen, I want to challenge you. Go clean the dishes. Go empty the dishwasher. Go straighten up the playroom for the glory of God. Okay, go help them out. Go beyond the the period. Go go to the end. Serve with the end in mind. Here's what took place. They're going to rebuild this this. This gate that they were responsible to build. But then they went above and beyond that. And I don't know of anybody who did that more than King Jesus. Who came and who was born. Who lived. Who taught. Who healed. Who rebuked. And then he died. He was buried. And he rose again. He just did it all. And he is our example. Serve with the and in mind. And then the last point here that we have. We're going to go through chapter 4 together a little bit more closely. But here's what I want you to see in chapter um, four. And the point is this. Point number six is this. Anything done for God will come with darts from the enemy. Just never forget the final score and keep pressing on. Here's what takes place when we come to serving. Oh, well, I can't serve, or I've got this, or I've got this, I've got this. There's all kinds of distractions that come and listen. Sometimes they get in the way, and sometimes they, they're, they're a good way out, and they make we make excuses. What I want us to recognize is that when we are doing something incredible, when we are doing something that God wants us to do, beautiful, bold, extraordinary, something that is almost nearly impossible, there will be darts that will be thrown, there will be distractions, there will be discouragement. I don't know if you've ever lived in your life where you've been discouraged. Most of us have been discouraged in a very, very, very powerful way. And almost that discouragement allows us to get off track Allows us to get distracted. Allows us to really question whether or not what we're doing is worth it. And so in chapter 4, they get distracted from the work that they were setting their minds to. And so we serve in the midst of the darts because we know the final score. Here's what I need you to know right now. Satan is defeated yes his darts are going to come and yes they will come but i want you to recognize that when you look at the end you look at the scoreboard at the end of it. jesus wins satan does not he's defeated treat him like that fend off the darts and let's keep serving for the glory and the fame of his name so let's walk through the text and see how this plays out Verse 1, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of the brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? He called them weak. He, He basically was mocking them, saying, you're not able to do this. You don't have the skill to do this. You don't have the ability to do this. Then he looks, will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they finish up in a day? And then he goes, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? The temple wall, the temple had been laying in ruins for about a 100 years at this time, 70 years of exile. The, the, The crushed stone was all laying around and they were mocking them saying, hey, are you just gonna go and be a magician and put this stuff together? How are you going to do this? Recognizing that this is an impossible task. In verse three, it comes, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. The lightest animal will walk on this, and it won't work. Your labor is in vain. You need to recognize that your labor is in vain. And so here comes Nehemiah, and I love his humanity. He praised God's judgment all over him. <laughs> it's It's human. Hear, O oh God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, nor let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Do you see his humanity and frustration? He's human. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to have its height. Here, here's what it is. For the people had a mind to work. You know why? Because in this moment right now, they remembered the final score in the midst of the darts. Verse eight, the darts keep coming and they started to question again. Verse eight, and they all plotted together to come out and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Verse nine, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night the Jews are becoming unbelievably discouraged at this moment. They're becoming discouraged and they're becoming distracted. And Nehemiah, the leader, comes in 14, and this is what he says in 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers Your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You must remember that Satan's power is limited. His influence is delegated. His destruction is guaranteed. His success is constantly hindered by the way of God. And he has not sent us into an arctic storm with a bathing suit and a tank top on. He has sent us with the armor of God and the spirit of God and with a declaration that we will win. So press on, and keep building, and keep fighting. So the work resumes, and I think it's chapter four is kind of summarized in verses 19 and 20. I think it's beautiful in 19 and 20, what he says. Then I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great. Here's what they recognize, the work is great, guys. It's, it's, it's a, meaning it's a lot of things to do, but it's also there's a lot to do, and it's a big task, but this is what he says too, and widely spread. Because when burdens arise out of the gospel, it's easier, the load is lightened when everyone comes together. And that's what he says. Go to verse 20. This is beautiful. In the place where, we, where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Here it is, here it is. Our God will fight for us. Here's the big idea. Burdens that arise out of the gospel are lighter when everyone works together. And in light of these two chapters here that we have this morning, chapter 3 and chapter 4, when it comes to involving serving together at Northwest Community Church, here's the two questions I'm asking you to ask. Where am I needed? What can I do to lighten the load on Sunday? Where am I needed? What can I do to lighten the load on Sunday? Many of you here today, many of you here today are serving. And we cannot thank you enough for serving King Jesus at this church at this time. Your your gifts, your resources, the sacrifice, I'm telling you, we are grateful for all of that. But some of you are not. And some of you are not serving because you're not aware of the needs. So today is, in essence, an opportunity to inform you that we do have needs for us to be about the Lord's work to inform you and to invite you to be a part. Listen, I don't want to be a church where most of the work is done by just a few amount of people. I don't want to be a church, That that's a summary. I don't want us to be a church that enables people to be spectators in the bleachers because your discipleship is too important to us for you to sit on the sidelines and not be on the greatest mission field in the world. So in the foyer, there's been this great display that David and Teresa put together this week. It's fantastic. I mean, David went from driving a bodcat to putting this display together. I mean, that's where am I needed. I mean, that's incredible. So we got this great display, and it shows you right on this board where am I needed. I've already told you, people have been praying for you. You don't need to pray right now. We got you covered. I'm asking you to go outside and ask where you need needed. We have kids ministry. With going to a one-service format, we have about 100 kids that will be in one hour, okay? Not broken up into two. So 100 kids. So what will happen is, on a rotation basis, we'll need more of you, not less of you. We have first impressions. We have two teams coming together, which is great. But we have first impressions that are greeting our, our, our guests. And we have teardown. If we're all fully staffed, which we are not, then teardown should take about 40 minutes. That is one of our greatest needs in our church right now is rolling out carts and packing up stuff. Set up. Takes about 75 minutes to be able to set it up. We're here from 7 o'clock until 8.15 when everything is put together. And then we also have um, truck drivers. So we have a pickup at the office. We go pick up two 24-foot trailers over at Cross Point. They let us keep those there. So bring the, tr- the trailers here. And then there will be someone else that will bring them back. So truck driving is another um, need. And we have student ministry. The most unbelievable privilege that we can have is to teach kids who they are. Teach children in our Northwest Kids Ministry. Teach in our student ministry. Work with middle school and high school. Many of you have been greatly impacted in the middle school and high school years because of your your, uh, years in student ministry as a student. So big idea. Burdens are lighter when everyone works together to review. Serving helps you identify your passions. Not serving is not biblical. Ask where you are needed. Make serving a family affair. Serve with the and in mind. And anything done for God will come with darts from the enemy. Just never forget the final score. And just keep pressing on for the glory of his name and his alone. I love you. We'll see you in the foyer when you sign up. Let's pray together. God, I love you and I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the privilege that we have to serve you. I thank you for the honor that we have to um, go through this text and see that a lot of people were doing a lot of things. And we recognize that it is easier done when a lot of people are really focused on some different areas so we can get some things done, we can answer some questions, we can disciple people, we can encourage people. So I just pray, God, that you would... um, you would uh, inspire people today to find an area where they are needed and that they would answer those needs. We recognize what you did through Nehemiah to inspire them to work, not to guilt them into working. So I pray that today would be an inspiration to you and that you would move hearts to help us do what you've placed us here to do. We love you. In Jesus' name.